Peter Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer. I'm joined by my colleague, Paul Rickard. Hi, Paul. Good afternoon, Peter. So what I want to talk about today, mate, is that the media, in case you haven't noticed, has completely spun around. Um, for the last two years, it's been all doom, gloom, and no boom for the property market. You know, some of my journalist colleagues were happy to talk about 40% house price falls, which I kept saying, I just can't see it without a a serious recession. Anyway, but they kept spinning the story. And so I thought, well, today let's talk to a doyen of the industry and see what he's doing. And we're talking to Charles Tarby there, the founder of Century 21, with hundreds of outlets across the country Mm -hmm. and in in places like New Zealand and Fiji and whatever. And then we're going to talk to a, a real estate agent who's on the ground doing it day by day, week by week, seeing what he's seeing at the coalface in terms of, um, of, of purchases and prices. And uh, his name is David Walker from Ray White. Well, that should be interesting, Peter, because uh, watching the Channel 9 news on uh, the weekend, they were raving about auction clearance rates having been the best weekend in, I think, 18 months or something. Yeah, now, you could, I think Sydney got to 74%. Yeah, I mean, look, you've got to, be able to take these numbers with a little bit of a grain of salt because... In Sydney, only a small number of houses get auctioned. It's bigger in Melbourne, obviously, but in other states, it's very small. But right. uh, it's only a sign. But I, I just find it a bit like you, Peter, how suddenly the media is on board with a property boom I again, know. right? So I, I, I got a sense you don't go from a bust to a boom just like, like that. that. You don't and, spin around uh, that. So I think getting an idea of what it's really like at the coalface uh, is really important yep. for our listeners. Well, today I actually showed in my story for switzer.com.au what the chart looks like and there was a boom before 2003 a nice boom and then we went sideways in Sydney for example for 10 years and that's what you've always said Peter and I know all the debate around the when all the people wanting to trash the market and talk about the 40% fall that was coming. That's not the history of property in Australia. What tends to happen is you get uh, a couple of years of solid appreciation, mm-hmm. then you get a pullback, 10 to 15%, and then it sits yep. you know, for about a decade. Correct. And that's what property does. It doesn't just go from one to the other, and it, we've never seen 40% fall. So all the discussion was just nonsense. Yep. Now, I guess we're not going to see a boom again. We've, we've, got, we've found an area where buyers are going to be tempted in. Yep. We'll get some flattening of the market. Yeah, and that's what we're going to ask David Walker about. You know, does he think there's going to be a... Because a lot of people criticise me and say, oh, well, if, you, if you're asking for the banks to lend better, because at the core of the problem has been as... as um, Suzanne Mitchell from Bobby mm-hmm. Choice said one in five people weren't getting loans. If you do that, that's a big economic threat to the economy. And, that's why and, and other people were having what being told they could borrow less. So yeah. if they can borrow less, they can't pay as much. So right. it, it just contracts on itself. But obviously that we've now seen that those things turn around, around a bit and we've got APRA changing some of the rules. So uh, I guess that's what we start, Well, we'll find out from uh, David and others just okay. what's happening out there. And you being an ex-banker, you probably understand this better. And a lot of the people out there listening might have read this. That, you know, and guys like Chris Joy have been saying 
They might not cut rates. They might go to QE, QE, mm. quantitative easing. How would that work in principle? We've never really done that. I really ever hasn't happened in Australia, Peter. So that's effectively where the Reserve Bank is. We talk about printing money, which is actually what does happen because yeah. when they print a $100 bill, it only costs them a few cents. And that, yeah. that profit from selling a $100 bill all goes to the government's bottom line. That's what yeah. printing money is all about. Yeah. Quantitative easing takes that a bit, bit further and you end up with the, uh, the government buying back lots and lots of bonds and so putting a whole lot of money into the economy yeah, that so wasn't So the banks there, would actually end up with money if they sold their mortgage The banks would end up with so much money they'd have to do something with, with it. it which, which is lend. Which is lend. Um, so that's the theory, yeah. but yeah, we've, I, I'm not sure we're going down that path, Peter. But no, I uh, hope not. I hope not. I, I think we're going to start to see, uh, certainly the, the market's got very excited about another rate cut and yeah. uh, suggestions that could come, if not next month, in August. So I noticed yeah. on Friday, National Australia Bank uh, changed its rate call from uh, from just one further this year to two more yeah, this year. Well, so the cup goes well. So, so uh, they're talking about a cash rate of 0.75% by the end of the year. Well, I hope they're wrong. I hope the economy rebounds in the second half and the Reserve Bank doesn't have to do it and the economy is starting to kick along. But if it's not, they probably will. They probably will. Okay, and finally, we're going to, we're going to talk to a, um, a research expert from Ibis World, one of the best researching companies in the world, in a, a local business about the, the trend for meat substitutes. And this story grabbed me when I noticed that even Hungry Jack's is doing a vegetarian alternative for the Whopper. <laughs> it sounds like a contradiction in terms to, to pull the meat out of the Whopper. Well, look, Peter, not for me, but, but look, it's a trend out there, yeah. you know, uh, a bit like the uh, avocado, was the smashed avocado. Well, the vegan and all the other sort of meat... Yeah, people concerned about eating meat. Uh, those sort of products are, mm. uh, are, are coming fast, and I guess that uh, you know we're all going to have to get used to that. And certainly, I think cattle producers and others are going to have to think about uh. how that may start to impact their industry down the track. And, and you're a part-time farmer. Well, I am. That's why I'm particularly interested in these uh, <laughs> these meat substitute products. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's the show for today, um, and let's kick off with the uh, our interview with the. Um, Incomparable Charles Tarby, founder of Century 21. So, Charles Tarby, thanks for joining us on The Switzer Show. Thank you, Peter. Now, Charles, you know, we're reading a lot of stuff now that it looks like a bottoming process is starting to happen, you know, particularly in the markets like Sydney and Melbourne. You're right at the coal, coal face with lots of, um, you know, Century 21 uh, franchisees, you know, doing their work you know, every Saturday. What are you seeing? We're actually getting that feedback. There's a lot more people tuning in up open for inspections right now. Uh, there's certainly a lot more activity in sales. I don't know about the bottoming. I think I think we're very close. I, I think that the, the fact that some uh, areas of Australia actually have had increases is probably a, a, a touch of enthusiasm and positivity in there because of what happened with the election and also now with interest rates or the talk of interest rates dropping. Uh, there's been a lot more people out looking because there's that... Fear of missing out, and, and the, it's a one thing we actually don't want, is people to rush in and start a process that uh, the real estate market can't support. It needs to flatten out and have steady growth from here on in. Charles, we hear a lot of stories about how hard it is actually to get a loan. In other words, the, the, all the restrictions on the availability yes, of credit is pretty yeah. tough. Do you get a sense that that's loosened up at all yet, or is we still... You know, this is a market still for you know traditional homeowners and investors are still pretty pretty scarce. 
it's certainly not uh, where we want it to be, Paul, from a steady flow of lending. I've said it that many times, and the banks have said that they haven't changed their lending policies, but from my own personal point of view, I can tell you it's, it's been a battle getting things done because equity is not king anymore. But I think it is changing, and, uh, and I do think the banks need to do something. Uh, and with the drop in interest rates, that's such a bit disappointing with ANZ and Westpac. I would have thought with the Royal Commission banking, the banks would have been a little bit more open to uh, passing it all on completely. I would have had a bet that all of them did, but great to see a couple of them have lived that way, and I, and I hope they get an advantage from it. Now, Charles, it seems to me that it hasn't been interest rates that's been scaring off buyers. It's been the, the fall in house prices. Now, the, and of course, and you, you, you and I both lamented how seriously negative newspapers were a year or so ago mm. when, when the price falls were starting and, and they were talking about 40% yeah. drops and whatever. Do you think that that fear factor is becoming less of an issue and that's why you're seeing people showing up to auctions and, and house openings? Mm. I think so, Peter, but I also think that uh, apart from the fact that the pundits have been wrong yet again, I mean, as you said, 40, 50% last year uh, equated to about 11, 11.5% uh, in, in some areas. Uh, I also think, though, Peter, that uh, apart from the fact that that, that talk has now started to dissipate, uh, a lot of people really want to buy, want to buy real estate, but uh, haven't had the chance to. And uh, with prices now falling to a, a a starting point for many people. Uh, there's a lot of people out there, particularly uh, first-time buyers, that couldn't get in, that were sitting on the fence waiting, and their opportunity has, has come in many respects. And I think that that rush or that part of it is going to be a part of the reason why the market starts to rush a little bit and get back to where it should be. So it sounds like from what you're I saying, know. Charles, that the um, you don't think it's necessarily bottom, but they're sort of starting to feel that there's certainly support at the bottom end of the market with, with first-home buyers. Yes. And perhaps it's a little bit early to see investors back in the market, or maybe that might be... Yeah, I think the investors are there, Paul. I think they're making offers. And I, right. um, if you go you go back to uh, the people coming back into the market, it, a lot of people were waiting because of talk. You know, the market's going to crash. Well, why should I buy now? I'll mm. wait. And uh, and then all of a sudden now, there's uh, the, the government's still in place. There's no talk of uh, removal of negative gearing, capital gains tax, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I think they're now starting to think, well, I... I better get in there now because I just might miss that bottom. And I think that's what's spurring it a little bit. Uh, again, I, I just hope that people do still take their time. I know it sounds strange coming from a real estate agent, but uh, from my perspective, there's nothing worse than a boom market uh, for uh, good quality real estate practitioners. Mm. Uh, what we want is a steady marketplace where buyers and sellers have reasonable amount of time to negotiate a transaction that benefits both of them. Okay, well, we, we know that you're one of the youngest successful entrep uh, entrepreneur real estate owners in the history of real estate, but can you remember, can you remember a post-election enthusiasm burst um, in, in your lifetime? I can remember the flip side when it was absolutely shocking. Hang on a sec, Peter. I need to get down off my pedestal after that. <laughs> uh, the, 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 uh, this particular one has been really quite interesting because um, 
everybody I spoke to said that they weren't voting Labor, but all the polls said Labor. And, and there was a lot of people who, who were frightened. And, and as you, you all very well know, the majority of investors who own one property are, are hardworking people. I, I, I did a rent run uh, yesterday for some of our landlords, and, you know, school teachers, uh, all sorts of people. Uh, most of the, the rent money uh, is going to teachers' unions or firemen's unions or police union, uh, credit union, and, and they are the people have been very, very badly affected by this. And I think quietly there were a lot of people who might have been labor voters sitting back thinking, I think I'm going to change my mind this time. Mm. And, they, and they just did, and they did. Yeah. But in terms of the, the, the reaction of customers post-election, is this a pretty pretty big move? I'm sorry, Peter. Yes, it is. Mm. It, it was almost an instantaneous reaction from people. Uh, and that's the thing that all of us have noticed as real estate agents. So, uh, you know, I'm here at a conference uh, with a number of quite a, quite a few C21 agents, and that's the very first thing they noticed, the level of inquiry, the phone calls, the open inspections. Uh, and, of course, the banks have started to release the fact that uh, they've had more home app- loan applications uh, in the uh, last couple of weeks than they've had in a long time. So, Charles, it's too early to talk about sort of, I won't say hot spots, but areas that you think, are, you know, Australia's a big property market and we all know the differences between the states and the cities and units and houses and various suburbs and streets. But is it uh, any sort of areas that, uh, you know, particularly investors, you sort of sort of suggest that they might like to look at? Yeah, I still think there are areas in Sydney, I've always talked about certain areas in Sydney that didn't quite get the attention that other areas got. Um, and uh, and those are mostly in the west and northwest uh, of Sydney, uh, where there was a lot of housing commission in the past, and but, but where they are located, the infrastructure is incredibly strong, and not far away from those areas, you've got properties that are selling twice the price. So I still think there are areas in Sydney. I think Brisbane might actually um, have its turn. It's really, never really had its turn in this last term. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of talk. There was a lot of talk about Brisbane. Uh, and uh, it was was not an area that I was sure of, but I think it's probably going to have its opportunity now. And uh, we're also noticed in, in Perth where the prices have continued to, to decline, but at a slower rate. Um, and the agents I've spoken to from Perth have said that they've not only just had increased activity, but increased sales. And I think that areas such as those where particularly Perth was not as reliant on mining as it was during the boom. Uh, And there's a lot of migration from South Africa and United Arab Emirates. Those areas, to me, are potentially strong areas over the coming years. Okay, Charles. So how about before you get on the plane and go for your punsy holiday, um, you write write us a piece for our website of the the suburbs that you like in those areas because a lot of people would be very interested to read that. Well, look, Peter, are we talking about the Sydney ones I was mentioning before? Yeah. Yeah, I, look, I've been t- telling people, and I told my son as well, you know, he's, he's ready now to buy an investment property, uh, that Habersham, Derrick, those areas that were traditionally very strong or very large housing commission areas, there are quite a few of those areas that Mount Druid have been gentrified to some degree, uh, and you can still buy a three-bedroom house on a block of land for 550000 with the M4 and the M7 right at your doorstep, mm. and you look, just, you look further north. Just a few kilometres further north in the northwest sector, there you, you can't buy a block of land for five hundred thousand mm. dollars. So I think people have got to start getting mm. over the fact that certain suburbs have a stigma, um, and they've got to understand that the suburbs that people don't talk about, the suburbs in between suburbs, are quite often the best places to invest. And, and let's go to Brisbane. 
uh, and name a couple in Brisbane as well. I would. I, I'd, I'd start looking up north of Brisbane. A lot of people talk about southeast Queensland and so on. Great areas and some fantastic opportunities, but the infrastructure that's moved north has been far stronger than it has been moving south, with the rail line going all the way up from Brisbane up through North Lakes and those areas. And they were, they were areas that were fairly quiet for a while, all the way up into the Redcliffe and, and, and the Bay area. Those are spots where you can get close to the city, your infrastructure's strong, you've got great lifestyle, you can be close to the ocean. Uh, I think those areas have got great opportunities as well. And Charles, uh, Perth, you, you, I'm quite attracted to the yeah. idea of Perth because it has been in the doldrums for a long time, but uh, suburbs in Perth? Time. The most iso- yeah, isolated the, capital city yep. in the world is Perth. It's a, yes, it certainly is. Uh, and I, I, When I looked at some of the transactions that are going through, I started looking at solid transactions going through. Actually, in Perth itself, East Perth, Park all the way down to Thornley, uh, where you can great, get great investment properties down at exceptional prices. It's really quite ridiculous when you look at prices. But again, the infrastructure strong, and uh, and so most of those areas we're watching growth occurring. They're the offices that uh, we have in in Perth, East Perth, uh, Vic Park, uh, down through to uh, Thornley and Huntingdale. Those areas are, are, are very very active uh, and good for investors as you get further south. And just on a different tack, Charles, every time we interview you, you're somewhere exotic or, mm. you know, today you're at Hamilton <laughs> Island, uh, you've had to go overseas, normally you're out inspecting 18 holes somewhere. What, what yeah. are you doing so, right that I'm not? Yeah, so obviously <laughs> being a real estate guru is more, more um, rewarding than being a doctor or a lawyer or a, or yeah, a media person. Gentlemen, let me give it to you in one sentence. When perception meets reality, reality <laughs> comes off second best. <laughs> Charles Tarvey, as always, thanks for joining us on The Switzer Show. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Paul. And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Now, here's Switzy. Hey, Paul, you reckon we need to get a new ad? That's been going for a long time, hasn't it? I think it's time, Peter. It's time. I do like listening to more in that sense of urgency. Interested? Well, 3.89%. And the important point we should make here is 3.89% is our headline rate and it's our comparison rate. So look, there's a lot of good rates out in the market now, but make sure you ask what is the comparison rate? Because that adds in the fees and all the other stuff. It's really the real rate. Though, Paul, you should probably educate our, our listeners. The comparison rate's not quite as reliable when it comes to fixed rates. Yeah, right? it doesn't work too well for fixed rates, Peter, because it assumes a 25-year repayment plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't work very well with fixed rates. But look, for mortgage, most variable rates, it's not too bad. Mm-hmm. Look, you can, if you want to look at the formula, there's uh, it's, it's put together by ASIC. There's a, there's, there's a benchmark formula they devised, uh, and you can see what is and isn't included. Yeah. It's not the be-all and end-all of, of rates, Peter, but it's a yeah. guide. And uh, I think, as you say, lots of home loans have different fees, and uh, it's a way to try to... to effectively factor in fees into the actual cost. Okay, so l- l- let me ask this question because people listening might be thinking, if you saw a fixed rate advertised, 
of say he's got he's got the John John's our producer he's got a, a sense of fear in his face when I ask this yeah un, unscripted question but you can answer it Paul have confidence so if we saw two fixed rates of four percent say for example but the comparison rate with one went to four point five percent and the other was only four point two if they're both the same yeah the one with the lower comparison rates would seemingly be the better one wouldn't it <laughs> Uh, look, it, be your best guess? I, I would be my best guess, Peter. Yes, it's a guess. It, everybody. It, it, it's not a, it's not a fear. You, you, you went at a tangent I wasn't expecting, but you came <laughs> back on another tangent. So you did the whole 180 or well, 360 degree loop. But, well, uh, Paul, with me, you, you worked with me long enough to realise you got to expect the unexpected. But all I do is ask questions that my our listeners might be thinking, or who our listeners might be thinking. Well, that that was right. So, so all right. So that's the important story about fixed rates. No about comparison rates. That's what I want you to concentrate on. Uh, a, a more important story is what's really going on at the coalface right now for real estate. And so we're going to talk to David Walker now. He's the number one international selling principal for Ray White, um, and he's based in the upper north shore of Sydney. David, thanks for joining us. No problem. So, David, you, know, you were the number one internationally uh, selling principal for Ray White, uh, you're, you're located yep. in the Upper North Shore. Uh, and I, I want to talk to you about what it's like being an agent on the ground with all the talk about house price slumps being as bad as 40% and so on. What's it like for you when you, even when you hear those kinds of stories being um, pumped out by the media? Yeah, look, I, I've, uh, I've been in the industry now 15 years, so I've sort of I think I've I've seen seen it all. I, I thought I've seen it all. Where you, you you get you hear the media, in a in a boom market, a bull market, they're, they're talking everything up, and um and prices are just going to continually go up. And then as soon as it it um starts to pull back, it's the world's ending, and and they always just talk it down probably more than what it is. And definitely over the last two years, we saw a bit of a correction, but that's after probably the biggest bull market in the property um in Australia's property history. So. Um, it was just more coming, prices were coming back down to earth a little bit. So I was putting in perspective, we're only back to where we were in 2016. So the prices today are similar to what things were selling for in 2016. So we definitely saw a big boom in 17, 18. Um, at the end of 18, it started to pull back. And now today it's back to where it was in 16. So things aren't actually that bad. And they're not like they've, uh, they've dropped back to levels at 2010 or 2005, it, it's only come back to where it was two years ago. And, and David, conversely, the media has got very excited the last couple of weeks about a look a, a lift in uh, auction clearance rates off a pretty low base, and I guess they're a pretty small real sample of the market. Given in Sydney, they're not a big part of it, and obviously bigger in Melbourne. Yeah. But uh, look, just have, has much changed since the election, or is it just that uh, you know buyers have just come a little more keenly back into the marketplace? Um, it, it, there's definitely a change in the air, I guess, the, after the election and leading up to the election, there was all this uncertainty as to what was going to happen if negative gearing was mm-hmm. um, was changed. And there we, that, that was on top of uh, the Royal Commission that we'd had and there was part, part of lending criteria. So um, in the last, if you look at the last month as a whole, we've had APRA kind of change their stance on, on lending. You've had... Uh, the, the Liberal government get back in which um, whichever way you vote just what they've done is, is, is they've, 
they've, I guess, ended the 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 uncertainty about negative gearing, and then you've also had interest rates drop. So we've had, for the first time in a long time, uh, a few different things happen that have given people more confidence and a bit more stability. And then in turn, it's meant that the the papers have started talking positively about the market again for the first time. And that just means that buyers all of a sudden have gone from a position where they're, um, they're unsure whether they should get in or there's been no pressure on them starting to feel the heat a little bit thinking okay well maybe we've seen the bottom of the market so let's jump in now and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy so as soon as people like that start jumping into the market all of a sudden rather than having one buyer on a property we've got now two or three and that's probably you know even on the weekend we 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 had we had an auction and had had five registered bidders at the auction which wasn't really seen over the last 12 months so the confidence is there and the urgency is coming back into the market a little bit, and that's probably just back on the back of the sentiment. And if you had to rate those factors, lower interest rates, the election, the APRA's, or APRA's muted change on terms of lending available loans, which, which one was do you think is most important? Um, I think it's probably a mixture, but I think the, the uncertainty around negative gearing and what mm-hmm. it was going to do to the market was definitely there. Um, and, and that, again, comes off the back of just the, the papers were talking the market down quite significantly when they were talking because the whole election was really to, to somebody looking at whether they should sell their investment property or keep it or they, they were, there was uncertainty around it. So buyers were saying, well, we're just not going to jump into the market. So there was almost there were some properties that you couldn't sell at any price really because buyers just weren't buying. Um, so that's probably that factor changing now um, has meant that those buyers that were sitting on the fence are now starting to to transact. Yeah, David, because because Ray White also has a lending function, you'd have a pretty good idea of what was going on with clients who wanted to buy. Did you experience over the last year or so um, the fact that people who wanted to buy couldn't actually access money? And I, I, I say that because we interviewed Susan Mitchell, who is the uh, boss of uh, Mortgage Choice, and she quite surprised Paul and myself when she said, I asked her how many people that used to get loans are now not getting loans. She said 20%. So one in five. Did you, did you encounter customers that were keen to buy but couldn't actually get the money? Um, definitely. It was probably there – was, there was quite a – I'm not sure about the, the statistics and, and percentages, but mm. what we were seeing is banks were um, – banks who were lending five years ago to – anybody and everybody at, at any price, um, they were starting to scrutinise people's incomes, wages. In, in the area that I sell in the Upper North Shore, you probably, I wouldn't say you have people that are getting turned back um, at any, you know, any borrowing capacity, but you're getting people who were able to borrow, say, $1.5 million on a property. They were having to go back and... Um, get refinanced and, and back to, say, 1.2 or 1.3. So what people were able to borrow was definitely coming down. Um, and that then filtered through to the market because people's, although they're, they're, what they are able to borrow has come down, their appetite for what they're expecting to buy and what they're, what they're wanting to buy hasn't changed. So people still have the same appetite for a very nice home, but they just didn't have the affordability to buy it. Okay, well, a lot of people who um, criticised me when I said I don't believe we're going to have a 40% pr- 
price fall, and, and, and then I w- then would say, but we do need banks to start lending properly again. They'd criticise me mm. and say, oh, all that will do is recreate the boom. Now, you know what the mentality of buyers are like right now. Is the mentality anywhere like it was in 2016, 17? No, not at all. But buyers now, they're far more sensible. Um, they they realise that uh, there, is a, there is a cap to what you will be lent. And I, I think from my experience, so normally the turnaround time for somebody being able to get a loan five years ago would have been really 24 hours. Now it's become in some cases, seven days, because you've got to get a lot more paperwork. They want a lot more information around your spending habits, a lot more information around your income, where the income goes, um, and they won't just take your word for it in terms of how many credit cards you've got and what your repayments on the car are. They want to know all those figures, and they'll we we they look at you know whether you whether you're uh, you, you're spending money on Netflix every. Um, Every every week or month, so that and whether you get paid, takeaway or pizza every week, so they will really scrutinise it. And buyers are now seeing that, so I think people are far more cautious than they were. And although I think for for sort of five to ten years there, there was no real there was I guess there was no policing of buyers in the marketplace. So um, they were just coming in, and they were sort of the banks were telling them they could borrow two million dollars. Um, they weren't actually telling them what they should borrow, which was more like 1.5 or 1.2, and that was far more affordable. So I had friends who were buying, and they were just buying at what they could, that what they were told they could afford by the bank. But that was sort of the top end of what they were, what they were um, probably should have been borrowing. So um, we're definitely not, in my opinion, not going to see a boom market for a while. I just hope it's neutral trading conditions because we actually haven't seen neutral trading conditions for a long time. It's, it, it's been all or nothing. It's been a boom or it's been a bust. It hasn't, there's not been a neutral trading market for, for a long, long time. Yeah, well, Paul, you, you've been a banker for a long, long time until you're retired. It sounds like the old bank manager's scrutiny has come into bank loans. Look, it does. It's probably, um, probably was overdue in some regards. Peter, I think the question is when all these... Uh, rules and regulations change often that's it's pretty blunt and uh, probably that's what the market's showing and why APRA at the moment uh, is starting to ease up allegedly so we'll see some uh, it'll be a bit easier going forward in July mm. look I, I'm also interested just to if we just change tag Peter just to ask uh, um, David you're the number one internationally ranked agent across Ray White so I mean how'd you how'd you do that <laughs> what's yeah. Oh, look, yeah. Look, number one selling principle: there's there's agents writing more business that aren't um, the owners of the business. So there's agents out there who are just agents within the office that are writing more numbers. But number one selling principle: um, there's a lot of talented people out there doing a lot of things. But I've been lucky enough to have, I guess, in our industry, it's a, it's, it's about as much about being in the market for a while, so people get to know you a bit better. But um, it, it sounds pretty good, though, right? I mean, I reckon number I might might not have mixed up the title, but number one internationally selling principal. But anyhow, yeah, no, he's not he's not a plonker. He's a principal. He's 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 a, he's a top seller. He must be the best principal in Australia to be the most impressive internationally. It's a very big uh, tag, mate. A very big tag. Yeah, look, there's there's lots of talented people there, but um, no, it's um, it's been a lot of hard work, and um, I guess I surround myself with some pretty pretty special uh, talented people who are within my team. So, um, you know, it's it's been a been a long journey, but it's um, been good fun. 
Okay. Well, one last thing. Your father's always telling me that you're a great uh, teller of jokes. Is there a favourite real estate joke you've got that, that is that is permissible to play in public radio? Oh, real estate joke. Um, I'll put oh, you on the spot, I, I, David. I, I, Don't worry. You're probably better asking my dad. My dad, as you know, uh, Pete, could tell, tell a joke about any topic uh, at any time. But, yeah. um yeah, prob- probably nothing that I could, uh, no, no joke I could tell that would be um, arable. No, that's right. All the ones he's told me, you have told me, were certainly not arable. <laughs> anyway, certainly what, you, what you've done is very good. Thanks for giving us an insight what's, on what's going on at the coalface. David Walker from Ray White, up on North Shore. Thanks for joining us. And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't like. So stick with Switzer and get rich. Where are my teeth? Okay, our next subject is, what is this? A vegan-style Whopper? I can't believe it. Apparently, the whole world is starting to get very interested in meat substitutes. And to talk about this, we have Kim Doe from Ibis World. Kim, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, Kim, so we, we need to understand why it is all these vegans are out there you know, going after the poor old meat eaters of the world. What's the story there? So uh, research shows that there are a greater number of Australians adopting plant-based diets and there's three main reasons for this. The first is that um, the cost of meat is rising. Secondly, we're becoming increasingly health conscious. And third, um, a lot of people are becoming more um, environmentally um, friendly as well. Mm. So so the supposition is that the, the production process of something which you might call artificial meat, is actually uh, creating a smaller carbon footprint than a, a, a poor old piece of uh, beef tra- uh, trampling around a farm. Yes, yeah, so um, according to Ibisworld's research, meat producers um, tend to require more resources such as land and water and produce more emissions per kilogram of food than um, plant-based alternatives. So, Kim, how quickly is the vegan food market or the non-meat market growing? Um, unfortunately, we don't have specific stats for this, but it's going quite rapidly, as um, you can tell by all these new companies and food producers, along with restaurants, continuously introducing more vegan um, alternatives to consumers. Um, again, in supermarkets, we're seeing a lot of plant-based foods um, being devoted a larger shelf space and being placed right next to meat mm-hmm. products as well. So this just shows that the industry is growing quite rapidly and we've only seen this in the past couple of years as well. I, I guess the biggest news story in recent times was that uh, Hungry Jacks are now going with a, a new non-meat Whopper. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we've got Hungry Jacks, Grilled and Snips all introducing new um, plant-based um, burgers. 
into the menus. And Kim, I take it affects more than meat. It's also dairy, so it's any any animal product. Is that uh, is that yeah. The- yeah, that's definitely the case. So basically we're seeing a lot of milk alternatives as well. So you've got your soy milk, um, almond milk. Um, people, we're continuously seeing innovation where um, food manufacturers are looking into developing milk that is profitable to replace um, dairy milk. Um, in addition to that, we're seeing a lot of um, innovation in terms of cheeses. So lots of smaller manufacturers are starting to produce um, vegan cheese, so plant-based cheese, um, to, that matches the taste and the texture of dairy cheese. Mm. Yeah, I think I've come across like coconut yo- uh, yogurt that actually has no dairy in it. There's, uh, it's uh, based on that kind of material. Now tell me this, you guys you know, are looking at the growth of, of specific industries what do you think the the five and ten year outlook for vegan style products? Yeah, so the outlook we're expecting um, for the for vegan food to continue increasing in consumer uptake. Um, we're looking at the double digits, um, and we're seeing that so Australian meat and dairy industries they're shifting their focus now towards overseas markets. So at the moment, the Australian meat processing industry generates over 60% of its revenue from overseas. And we expect this number to continue rising as domestically consumers shift towards more um, vegan and plant-based diets. And when you talk about vegan, um, Kim, do you also mean synthetic meat? I gather there's, uh, you can now, there is some, some progress around synthetic meat that's grown in the, micro, grown in the laboratory. Is, is that something that's yet sort of hitting the supermarket shelves? Yes, definitely. So when we talk about innovation within um, plant-based and vegan foods, uh, we are talking about synthetic meats and um, basically uh, meat alternatives that taste exactly like meat, even things that bleed like meat. Um, we've got a new a brand called Beyond Meat who recently released the patty that also has marbling in it as well to literally replicate a beef patty. Mm. So what do you think that means for the future of our, our cattle and dairy industries? I mean, are they, um, is it going to be hard to, to be a cattle producer or will they have to just look for new markets uh, outside of Australia as, as consumers, as the diet of consumers changes? Um, well, there is a like, really strong demand for Australian meat products overseas. Um, and this is because of Australia's um, known because Australia is known to have a pristine environment and a reputation as a producer of high-quality food. So meat and dairy products have um, really done well overseas and we expect um, these producers to continue focusing on overseas markets over the next um, few years. Um, however, they do they are concerned about their position in the domestic market as well. It hasn't been ignored. And um, some meat and dairy sector lobby groups have recently called um, called out banning plant-based food manufacturers from using terms such as milk and cheese in their marketing um, to help them. And are there any known health risks from using these synthetic products? Uh, or is that sort of where we might see some data on that down the track? What's, what's the sort of position on that? I'm expecting moment? a condition called taste bud disappointment, <laughs> Paul. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, we don't know much about the health risk of these yet. Um, I, it's definitely something that will come out later on um, as they become more popular with consumers. Yeah, because the interesting thing is, Paul and, and Kim, there is a, a growing um, belief that the best diet we could have is unprocessed diet. So, you know, red meat is okay because it is actually an organic product where you know, your vegan type synthetic product is processed and the body just apparently doesn't like those sorts of things. Well, according to the, the uh, Meat Growers Association. <laughs> well, I think you might be right, um, Peter. It, it sounds a bit <laughs> like the butter-margarine debate, you recall, mm. 20 years ago we were all being told to get off butter yeah. and go to margarine and I think that it's uh, many people came back to a butter or a butter sort of, you know, alternative in some of the way they, they reprocess butter to make it more appealing. But yeah. do you think, Kim, that, that's, that's, that's on the cards, that there will be sort of at some stage this uh, um, people will get a little bit concerned about synthetically a produced... backlash. A backlash about synthetically produced foods? Yes, definitely that's a possibility. I mean, um, people are always concerned, like especially in Australia at the moment, we're experiencing a rising fitness culture. So people are always concerned about what they're putting into their bodies. Um, with plant-based foods, the reason why it's been so popular is that it already has a reputation of being healthier and more calorie efficient. So um, that's for plant-based foods, but for the synthetic meats, there's definitely going to be some concerns as to whether or not it's really healthy for you in the long run. Mm. Well, well, Kim, I'm going to survey you because you sound as though you're in the, the younger uh, age group. Are you, <laughs> are, you the, are you the sort of person who likes the idea of meat substitutes based on you know, vegetables? Um, for me, as long as it fits into my calorie diet or that, and it tastes the same, then I'm, I'm not too fussed, honestly. Mm. Um, I do see the benefits of um, switching for the environment, um, but it doesn't mean that I'll necessarily replace my whole diet with it. Okay. The old magic taste test, I think, is what will come down yeah. to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Kim, thanks for joining us yeah. in the program. Yeah, thank you. And that's the end of the show, Paul. Are you feeling inclined to go out there and have a vegan? I might shout you a vegan yeah, whopper let's, tomorrow. Let's go and have a let's go and have a, a vegan whopper for for lunch, Peter. Because uh, I'd probably a once only for me, yeah. but I'd like to try it. Well, I tell you what, maybe it's one of the rare times if my wife Maureen found out I was eating something at Hungry Jack's, I wouldn't get into trouble. So yeah, let's go. Let's let's yeah. go and try it and uh, test it, and then we can all go back to the meat. That's right. Because <laughs> inexplicably, Maureen wants me to stay alive as long as possible. That's the show for this week. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>